This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking The Wolf of Snow Hollow and Possessor. Brains is what a wolf would say. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and as always, this is Abe. Hello, hello. It's a mystery between a vampire and a ghost. <laughs> oh, one of those. Yeah, one of those. Out Now is a film podcast where Aaron and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies most via most spoiler review, the occasional commentary track, or some other fun movie topic. This is episode 422. 422. I don't think that's an area code still. You think the fours are just out? I, I'm. I'm sure the fours are in, but 422 just doesn't seem like it's an area code. Oh, it's in Kansas! There you go. <laughs> 421, it was a, it was one in Czechoslovakia, so that, that's why it threw me off. We're right back in it, baby. <laughs> yeah, we're back in the States, just like the Beatles. <laughs> or back in the USSR. Yeah. <laughs> like the past four years. Uh, okay, let's, uh, let's get to what we're talking about this week. We're talking The Wolf of Snow Hollow and Possessor. A double horror feature here. Um, yeah, we got we got two episodes, two, two sorry, two movies to talk, both very genre heavy, uh, perfect for the month of October, and we'll get back to that in a second. But I want to introduce our guest here first. Joining us to talk the Wolf of Snow Hollow and Possessor, we have from Why So Blue ish. He's around, I guess. He's tapped into the mind of Hubie Halloween and is ready for carnage. It's Jordan Grout. Oh, it's so uh, honorable to be here. Good. Honorable. Wow. That, that's you. how that's how I assume most guests should feel. I feel so <laughs> regal when you say that. Regal of theaters. Back here with Aaron and Gabe. <laughs> Love it. No, Jordan, good to have you back here. How uh, are you? Yeah. How are you? Uh, how are you? I'm, I'm great. I love I love being here. I was so happy when you uh sent me a text message to to be a guest. I was walking down the street and I just started dancing. I was like, you know, this you know, it's, it's all gonna be okay in life. So thank you. Good, good, good. The image of you dancing randomly in the street is is wonderful. It brings me joy. Yeah. Is it gonna be a guest? Life is looking up. I don't Love know it. how Jordan dances all that well, just because I haven't been privy to seeing it too often. But I will say I watched Friday the Thirteenth, the final chapter this week, and so I assume you dance like Crispin Glover does. Oh, no. I watched it too. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as good, but it's you know, it's it's a few levels below. That show notes. You just look up Crispin Glover dancing in Final Chapter because it is amusing. Um, all right, let's. Uh, is that let's... the only one you've watched in the set? Um, of the sets because I watched the first three before I got the set. This is the new Scream Factory Friday box set that just came out. But yeah, that's the only one I watched so far. Um, mm-hmm. but I'll be. I I have multiple days to get through six, <laughs> seven more films. So, um, all right, let's uh, let's get to some show notes here. First up iTunes reviews and ratings, it's good to get those. Helps out our show, helps other people find our show. If you want to log on to iTunes, search for Out Now with Aaron and Abe. You can do just that and give us a rating review. Yes, please, give us five stars. And um, speaking of which, with all of our shows on iTunes where you can give us those reviews, there's so much content coming through there, as well as all of our channels, because we have a lot of horror-themed bonus episodes all through this month. We've already done a couple. We talked about diversity in horror, as well as the Friday the 13th for its 40th anniversary, the first original film. And uh, we have still three more bonus episodes coming. So, yeah, if you uh, are interested in that, if you want to take a listen, we have a lot of fun doing those episodes. So be sure to check them out. Uh, we have, an, at the end of the month, speaking of which, our new commentary track is going to arrive, which is for the film Psycho, in honor of its 60th 
anniversary. And that's going to be a lot of fun to record as well. Oh, 60 years already? The time does fly, right? I know. Vince Vaughn must be super old now. Uh, Yeah, Vince Vaughn, I mean, he's in Freaky. He's he's going back to his slasher roots from the film Psycho, the film we all know him for. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And Freaky is a shot-for-shot remake of the uh, Magnificent Ambersons. (laughs) It comes full circle, yeah. That's that's the only work they'll accept. It has to be remakes. And it has to be shot for shot. It, it, that, that tracks to me. Um, yep. Anyway, so yeah, we, we'll have a commentary track coming for not Gus Van Sant Psycho, but um, we will we will be talking. We, that film will probably be mentioned during the commentary track for Psycho. And I think that's it as far as show notes go. So let's uh, let's get into uh, some. Uh, well, let's get to, first up. Let's get to one of my favorite topics on this show recently. What we would have talked about this week. Were the world not to be on fire in a way that is not funny, but instead horribly depressing, but we still move through it anyway because, hey, we have this podcast and we're here to have a good time. Oof. Long segment name. I, you know, so at some point I won't we'll have, have to say to, it yeah, as much. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to edit that down. <laughs> so this is where we talk about the films that would have come out this week were things not to have altered the schedule in this post-Bloodshot era. Uh, so this week, guys, these are movies that are actually still on a schedule, per se. They've just been moved. But since we don't do trailer talk very often, we might as well talk about these movies a little bit. Uh, the first is Death on the Nile. That would have come out this week. That uh-huh. is the follow-up to Kenneth Branagh's adaptation of Murder on the Orient Express. This is another uh, Christie adaptation, of course, Death on the Nile, another famous one, which once again features Branagh as Piro and his mustache. It also has an all-star cast, which I should have looked up earlier on because i know some names offhand but there's so many people in this tom bateman annette benning kenneth branagh russell brand ollie fazal don french gal gadot army hammer rose leslie emma mackey sophie okanito uh, jennifer saunders leticia wright oh my gosh pow. it's amazing that you remembered all of that offhand and not in the uh, order that was presented on the wikipedia that's pretty impressive nope. let me yeah, tell you it's, it's uh, <laughs> off the dome here i'm like big mill just <laughs> Wrapping up the dome. But yeah, this is. But but this is the follow-up. Like I mentioned, we talked about Murder on the Orient Express, you know, when it came out back then. Abe, were you excited for another adventure with Hercule Poirot? You know, to be honest, I didn't know that there was another one coming out. Um, (laughs) I I think that the first one was beautifully shot, and there there was like a lot of funny moments within it. Um, The movie itself is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) like laughing to himself eating breakfast. Uh, reading Charles Dickens. Um, but I think that there's, um, whatchamacallit, uh, he got some good performances out of the cast, and, and the ending is is a, it's a nice whodunit type of ending. So I would have been interested to see this one because I think the cinematography in the first one was was excellent. I mean, the uh, there was actually a really nice production design as well. So, like, overall, Brenna does these things very well. Um I, I think it probably would have been an okay movie, but I, I would have been interested to see more like aesthetic beauty. Yeah, he did shoot these. Uh, like he shot the first one like 70 millimeter. Like he shot it big. So I, I, I'm not entirely sure if he did the exact same process, but I wouldn't be surprised if he has you know similar ambitions to make a, you know a a big movie out of the uh, out of the out of the, out of the story or what have you, and, you know do similar give it a similar treatment since it was so successful the first time around but jordan how about you were you excited for death on the nile yeah i i was i i didn't even particularly enjoy um uh the murder on the orient express that much um but i i i love brana and i'm always excited for a new uh brana film so yeah 
Uh, That's I, why I you like, showed up at the theater early for Artemis Fowl and then found out that, that they went straight to Disney Plus and you. Mm. I still showed up to the theater. Um, I, I watched the trailer a million times in one day when it first came out. <laughs> that was me. That was me who did that. Um, but no, he's not always a reliable director. But um, uh, he, he's he's always uh, a fun director, um, uh, regardless. So. Yeah, I, I was looking forward to it. Yeah, I uh, I agree as far as th- there's enough. I, th- I mean, I, I thought the Murder on the Orient Express was fine, but I do think there's enough there as far as, well, he, he wanted to do this and it looks good, like you mentioned, Abe. So I would welcome seeing another one of these. And even if he's not bringing anything new to the table as far as the story, because it's a classic story. So it's like, what do you really do to it to like improve upon it beyond just trying to cast well and shoot it nicely? It seems like a you know a fun enough a fun enough ride as far as like here's a mystery big cast looks good that's kind of all you need as far as an entertaining theatrical experience except we probably won't be seeing it in the theaters by the time it actually comes out yeah. um, but that's part of the reason why it's still on the schedule internationally it did do very well which is what I think Fox or sorry Disney is relying on which is why it's still on the schedule currently for December eighteenth twenty twenty yeah so uh, it will. For now, still come out, probably just more located specifically to international markets where it'll be here and whatever theaters are left um, before it eventually arrives on, you know, I believe HBO first. I think that's what the, the Fox, the original Fox deal is, which is probably why they're not putting it immediately on Disney Plus right now. But yeah. that's that's one film. The other film that was originally said to come out like now only to be moved uh, to later this month, actually, was Robert Zemeckis' The Witches, his adaptation of Roald Dahl's novel, uh, which was, of course, previously made from a, into a film from a Nicholas Rogue, a very scary movie for kids, <laughs> some would say. Um, so this is the new version of the film, which involves um, Robert Zemeckis as director, of course, but also Guillermo del Toro as a producer, along with um, uh, Kenya Barris as a writer of Blackish, among other things. Um, the film stars Anne Hathaway as the main, the head witch, and you also have Octavia Spencer and uh, Stanley Tucci, among others. The Tucci. The Tucci. Jordan, are you excited for another witches? Oh, of course. Uh, yeah, the cast is amazing, and the trailer looks awesome. Um, we didn't necessarily need another witches since the original one is is, is pretty much perfect, uh, and still terrifying even as an adult um so i i doubt the remake will will reach the horrific heights of the original but it's still going to be no doubt a fun time and again zemeckis isn't always reliable but he's always interesting like he always tries uh unique um things and i appreciate that abe how about you you excited for the witches i mean everything jordan said is is accurate and and i just want to piggyback off of it especially um Maybe some some reliance on Zemeckis. Not to say that he's not good. It's just that he definitely tries a lot of things out, and sometimes they they hit, sometimes they miss. Like I I think that he hits more than he misses, but that that's just my personal opinion. Um, I think that the best thing about this would be if in the middle of the movie Charlie Kaufman's credit just comes up in the middle. Of the movie. <laughs> I think that'd be like the the funniest in joke of the year. Um, but with all that being said, I think. Roald Dahl, I, I typically enjoy his movie adaptations. Yeah. You know, James and the Giant Peach. Uh, we had the BFG, um, the, the Witches. Chocolate Factories. Previous. Yeah, the Chocolate Factories. I mean, they, they tend to be a little bit darker, too, which I like when the directors go there. 
Um, but uh, I, I would have been excited to see this. Uh, so yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I agree with you guys. I think I mean the the first witches is like creepy to watch, even as like an adult, like you were saying, Jordan. So making a new one just based off the time, I don't really expect there to be as much of a dark jolt as we might have gotten out of the 1991. But I still think between Zemeckis, who's you know technically proficient in all of his films, and Del Toro, as well as Coron, Coron's also a producer on this. So you got two of the amigos on this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do I like to think that because specifically because of Del Toro who has made an effort to add edge to the children's films he's been involved with I'd like to think that they're still going to try to have that kind of level of edge in there maybe not to because it's you know going to be CG effects because that's how Zemeckis rolls it probably won't be as strong as you know the practical effects that just make things inherently creepier but I still welcome the challenge of seeing this you know happen. And yeah, mm-hmm. you're exactly right. I looked through the adaptations of dolls, you know, like children's novels. It's a very consistent set of movies. There's, there's like, there's very rarely a bad doll adaptation that comes that's come out of his thing. So I, I, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just, I'd like to think that that, uh, that, uh, track record keeps up as far as seeing quality entertainment coming out of the books as he's written, which yeah. like you said, do have this kind of a, a somewhat, uh, sinister edge to them as far as being children's adaptations. Sure. Yeah. So the film will be coming to HBO Max at the end of this month, October 22nd, um, which at that time we probably will review it. <laughs> we'll probably talk about the movie that week. So uh, I I did not expect like this just came out of nowhere. It came out what like two weeks ago or whatever. The tra- not even that. The week ago the trailer came out and it's like oh they went from moving this to next year to we're just gonna blast marketing in your face and say it's coming out in you know less than a month from now. So <laughs> I that was surprising to me, but hey. That's the, it means that tis the season, right? So we'll, uh, let's all be jolly. Exactly. We'll be jolly all the way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Chris Rock's narrating, too. I forgot that. That's the other thing. It's like, that's fun. <laughs> oh, is he? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. See, it's going to be awesome. How, got all kinds of things going for it. How can you not want to see this movie? Yeah. So, like I said, The Witches comes out October 22nd. All right, so that's what would have been coming out, which is still technically coming out, just at a later time still this year. Let's move on now. Let's get to our first review for The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Hi, I'm John. I'm an alcoholic. I've been in the program now for six years. Sober for three. This is scary. It's new. I never saw a body like that. There's going to be a lot of late nights and overtime because of the brutal murder that happened in town. And I didn't want to set up expectations that I can't keep. Our expectations of you are very low. Fans of the bites are gigantic. Same as the distance of the paw prints. It's a wolf. Or maybe it's a werewolf. No, let me just make this perfectly clear. There is no such thing as werewolves. Our killer is a guy. And I'm going to find him and I'm going to kill And we're going to bring him to justice. We have every reason to believe that this monster will show up again tonight. I won't ask you to pray with me because of the goddamn lawyers. That should have been some of the trailer for The Wolf of Snow Hollow. After turning his short Thunder Road into a well-received debut film, writer-director star Jim Cummings has now made another film that similarly features Cummings as a cop dealing with the pressures of his life and job pushing him to the extreme. In the mountain town of Snow Hollow, there appears to be some kind of monster, possibly a werewolf, ripping young women to shreds. Unconvinced... Officer Job does what he can to investigate the case while also dealing with a divorce, his daughter, his aging father, played by Robert Forrester in his final role, as well as his own sobriety. Jordan, this is supposed to be a horror comedy, despite listing all these things. Is it a fun film? Um, 
it's it might be my favorite movie of the year. I'm trying to think of other films this year I've really enjoyed. Of course, they've been limited. But yeah, I, I, I thought this movie was amazing. It's so entertaining. And not only that, it's it's surprisingly uh, moving. And uh, I, I as I mentioned, I hadn't seen the trailer. So I, I wasn't aware it was a comedy. Uh, well, horror comedy. It's hilarious. It's one of the best horror comedies uh, that I've seen in years. Um, it really balances that tone perfectly. And I haven't seen any of, uh, what's his name, Jim Cummings, uh, his other film. Uh, but now I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm very eager to go watch it. And he does a lot here that would like seem like an old trope, like the officer not believing the town or like just recovering from something and being divorced and having the dying dad. It, it has all of these tropes which just seem tired. Uh, but he makes it seem so fresh in this film. Um, and Forrester, oh my God. It, it's, it's, you know, of course it's a tragic that he passed away, but this film really uh, allows him to shine in a way that uh, perhaps other roles in his last few years didn't. Even Breaking Bad, I feel, didn't allow him to, to shine as much as he's doing in this film. Uh, and the lines that he 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 gives are just are are, are brilliant. Uh, they're so funny. Like there's a moment where uh, the the son comes in and the uh, forces with the doctor and forces us like, oh, I'm I'm healthy. The doctor says I'm, I'm perfect, and the doctor's like, oh, he has a heart murmur, and like you know it doesn't sound that funny, but his delivery is 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 perfect. Um, and where. If you like... want to just to interrupt, the, the delivery of the year for me with him is uh, I, I'd ask you all to pray for me if it wasn't for the goddamn oh. lawyers. <laughs> oh my god, yes. And um, it's it's very deliberate and specific with lines where just like a simple line gives you so much information, whereas a lesser film would have, you know, spent a few scenes uh, conveying this information. Uh, so the script is. It's it's fantastic. It's as as I said, one of the best of the year. Uh, where it may be lacking, where it may be not as strong as other horror comedies, is the horror aspect. Mm. I I found myself a bit bored where uh, where the the scenes with the wolf happened. Uh, I didn't feel like the gore was that inventive. I didn't feel the tension in those scenes uh, was that strong. And I, I was really just waiting for the scene to end to get back to, to the characters. Cause they're, they're so vibrant and so strong. Um, but of course, you know, that it could be a you know budgetary constraint, who knows, but yeah, I, I, I didn't find the horror elements as strong as the characters. And now that's only because the characters are just as good as, as any other film you'll see this year. Well, you got a lot of positives there. Happy to hear it. I uh, will note that Thunder Road, Jim Cummings' first film, which is a, a, a long, a kind of a extended version of the short film that kind of brought him some notoriety, that's available on Prime right now. So it's very easy to check out if anyone hasn't seen that film. It's also quite good, despite not uh, having a horror element to go with it. But I want to go to you, Abe. Uh, what did you think of The Wolf of Snow Hollow? Hold on, there's there's a kid shouting in front of in front of my window right now. Okay, let's ask him. Go that. run outside real quick. Ask him what he thought of the Wolf of Snow Hollow. Hey, hey, <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Fair. I'm a stranger, but I need you to to tell me about this movie that you haven't seen. 
Um, it was it was okay. <laughs> I think he's gone now. Anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I for the wolf was so hollow. I I didn't know anything about it. I went in super cold. Um, I didn't see the trailer. I didn't know beyond what Aaron and I talked about last week about what we were gonna do for this week. Uh, and then reading about who's in the movie, meaning Jim Cummings, um, uh, Ricky Lindholm, uh, Robert Forster, and, and Jimmy Tatro, Tatro. I really didn't know anything. So I was watching this uh, intro, uh, the, the credits, and they're all weird and wonky. And then I'm wondering myself, is this supposed to be like a comedy? Because I was getting a vibe of, I don't think this is like full on horror. You get to the first scene, and the first scene is... Like what Jordan said, I don't think it's necessarily done that it, it's supposed to be like overly gory. I think that's actually the purpose of the of the way that Jim Cummings wanted to do it. Um, but as you move through the movie, I, I kept thinking to myself, well, you know, it kind of feels like it kind of feels like a uh, like a, a psych episode gone a little bit more rated R um, and a little bit uh, more better written. And then as I finished the movie, I was like. How long was that? That was probably like an hour and a half, an hour and 40. And I was like, let's watch it again. Um, and so I watched it like on back-to-back viewings. And I was like, oh, this is actually very interesting to watch on um, back-to-back with the uh, the first intention that you get, which is, okay, cool. Maybe there's like, this horror element and I got to figure out what this werewolf is all about um, and figure out like what the metaphors might be. On second viewing, I was much more um, empathetic to uh john's john's storyline i was like this guy's going through a really hard time right now he's going through like what aaron described as uh he's going through a divorce his his dad is like having a hard time with retirement slash like um health issues you know he's having a hard time connecting with his daughter and so he lashes out at these like weird times uh throughout the movie which are very funnily written uh i might add but uh the movie itself is it's a very interesting look at uh, Mel Machismo, and it's a very yeah. interesting look at um, uh, just h- how you have to go through some of the problems that you're going to go through. And he addresses at the end there where people are trying to actually help you out the whole entire time, uh, and then you just you just dismiss them as as casual um, standbys. So it, it's an interesting play, and Jim Cummings is known to do this. I haven't seen Thunder Road, the long version, the film version. Mm-hmm. Like I told Aaron, I've seen the short version on Vimeo when it premiered like five, seven years ago or what have you. Um, and Jim Cummings is – he's always a cop for whatever reason. But he, he tends to write his characters as like deeply neurotic and also insecure. And uh, he, he also like likes to give them a lot of emotional depth. Um, while at at funny points and at funny times, so they're never they're never perfect, but you like what Jordan said, you tend to you tend to uh, empathize and maybe perhaps even sympathize with these. So as far as like the the movie goes, it's an interesting look at an individual who is having a hard time, but it's also like as as a horror movie goes, it's not all there, but I don't think that they were actually trying to go there. I don't think they were trying to to specifically make this a well it's a fantasy horror movie it's like it's kind of just um uh i mean he's so fervent about it and we'll get to this in, maybe in, in later thoughts too but john is so fervent about like it's not it's not a werewolf it's a man like we're looking for a guy um and everyone is like around him and is talking about all this um uh what do we call it uh, mystical things so I, I i think that the horror elements of it work just because 
it's a it's like a fun goofy type of horror um like a like a good romp like something like what Aaron and I talked about maybe like a few years ago um what you call it uh uh what is that yeah wolf cop yeah uh but overall it, it's an interesting look at a person and so I I would recommend it on that on that front well, I'm, I'm happy you enjoyed it I'm happy I wish I watched it twice because I would have because this movie is very good. I really, I really enjoyed this movie. I really like what Jim Cummings is doing as a performer as well as a director. Um, you guys have talked about the character-based stuff, which we'll get back to, so I don't want to emphasize that again too much. I just will say Jim Cummings, I think, is a terrific actor as far as what he's required to do here. It, it, he basically acts as a throbbing forehead vein that's about to pop throughout the movie, which I find to be... <laughs> it, it's a, That's a mix of... Yes, I can easily you know, find that to, I can be empathetic to that as well as find that hilarious, which I think is exactly what he's trying to do, and he's very successful at it. But I'll also say the movie is just really well made. I mean, it it, it looks terrific. Like it, it it takes this small town and it's it's heightened to a point because it is a genre film essentially, but it's still like the, just the kind of style on display here, especially what, having watched Thunder Road both versions. I mean the not that those are poorly made films, but you can clearly see his ambition as a filmmaker has increased since then, where he has a bigger budget, you know, bigger stars to work with, as well as just kind of a, a location that can, you know, add some atmosphere, given that it's supposed to be a quote-unquote werewolf movie. Um, and with all of that, it's hard not to see, like, the Coen brothers' influence on a film like this, uh, specifically Fargo, despite not being a genre film in the same leans. I mean, you have a good cold open before Jim Cummings is even on the scene, much like uh, Francis McDormand, and that takes even longer in that film. And just the nature of the characters is very... There's a lot of quirkiness going on in this movie, and there's a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, kind of... There's a lingering dark threat that's out there. Uh, there's a lot of dark humor that goes on in this film in the midst of random silly shenanigans that are also taking place. So there's a, there's a clear, like, tonal control that he's going for. And yes, I would agree that the horror of it all doesn't allow the film to like it, it doesn't hit hard enough for the film to intend to be scary i don't necessarily think it's trying to be scary but at the same time a threat of a person of a of a thing that's out there mauling people to death generally you want to have a little bit of terror from that but instead i'm not going to say it's played for laughs but it's certainly cut into a lot to kind of if anything lessen the amount of horror taking place and kind of make it more matter of fact but it's still regardless it's there and it comes in addition to what I found to be a quite moving character drama that happens to have a lot of humor in it. There's a lot of good stuff involving Cummings' life as this guy who, yeah, he's going through a divorce, he has a daughter he's trying to deal with, and he's trying to, like, figure out this case while dealing with his sheriff father who's dying. And it's like, right. that's sad. All of that's really sad. Yet, the film is really funny. It has a lot of, like, good-natured humor, good-natured humor to it. And it allows the other characters to shine as well. Where I think Thunder Road, that's mainly the Jim Cummings show. This one, you have, like you mentioned, Robert Forrester. But you also have Ricky Lindholm, who's very good in this movie. She plays mm-hmm. like, like the most level-headed, straightforward character in this film. The one that's not like ridiculous in the same way that other characters are. And that's effective. And you have Jimmy Tatro, like, who we've talked about a number of times at this point in this podcast. I think he's very capable as an actor. And I think that's because, because he looks, you know, he's very much like designed himself to look as like this dumb jock type character like that seems to be kind of the that's not that's not an insult to him it just seems like he's playing into that a lot but every every film he's in seems like he's subverting that image in some way and this one's no different where he's a guy that could very easily 
be one of the he could be one he could be like a hick living in this town if he wanted to but he's not playing that he's playing instead a fairly like progressive nice guy that just yeah, happens to be a wrong place funny. at the wrong I mean, time yeah and, I, I definitely want to shout him out on, on tacoma fd again he plays a cop in that one and and like what aaron is saying he um he subverts that that image in which film tacoma fd it's a tv show oh okay um so yeah like here it 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 kind of sides with with Cummings and what he's doing as far as challenge it like you mentioned challenging machismo challenging masculinity which is a huge part of this film this kind of underlying theme where yes there's a thing out there killing people but the film's more about like hey th- these cops have issues and they're really trying this one specifically really is really trying to deal with it and it's not easy and that doesn't but also the choices he's making are bad at a lot of times, or at least not like the the most well suited for a person that's supposed to be an officer of the law. And so it's really like calling out certain things in a time where, when they made this movie, that probably wasn't as relevant as it is this year. So it's like this has a whole new layer to it that I can't imagine was intended at the time, but certainly counts for something, which I found to be quite interesting to watch as well. So there's just a lot about this movie that's both on the surface really entertaining, but also in the layers I found to be quite interesting. And one thing that he does well, um, and Shane Black does as well. Uh, also he'll switch tones in the same scene. Yeah. And it doesn't seem jarring. It, yeah. Like it's done elegantly. Like for example, there's a moment where like his daughter asks, like, aren't you going to ask if I'm okay? And he screams at her. And it's so funny. It's, yeah. it's he yes, freaks yeah. out on his daughter. It, hilarious but it's also fair but like it, it it works is. in a world that they exist in like yeah he should be angry about this but it's yeah. also funny that he's angry about this but yeah the, i mean like oh go ahead no no so go go ahead no i was just gonna add that it, it there is that, that's the best way to describe it is that there's a tonal switch within the same dialogue it's very artistic the way that he does it like not artistic in a way that's like oh like the art form is it is advanced more just like that's very clever. It's like something like a rapper would do. Like you change the flows within the, the within the um um the bars, and so it's like it's very uh like the way that he does. It. And I think back to the the diner scene where yeah. he's got the four cops together and they're joking about stuff, and then it gets serious, and then it gets like uh dark, where it's like uh, if you don't do this, then you're gonna get fired kind of thing. And I was like, what happened here? But <laughs> that I think that's right. why. That, that. Yeah, but that's why I think why that's the the description of what you're describing is why at first I was like, I don't really get this movie. Like, not that I didn't get it right away, but more just like something's going on here that, that it feels like it's choppy. And, but then when you put it all together, it's like, Oh, it's actually very, again, expertly written. Cause you think to yourself, why is Jim, Jim Cummings? Why is Jim Cummings getting like, he's, he's unloading exposition, but he's also unloading like lines at time. He's like a, he's like a machine gun. He's just firing in some scenes. And some other people like like Ricky Lindholm are only saying like one or two things, and um, it makes sense toward the end, like what what everything we've described, like his his mental breakdown basically. You mentioned um, Shane Black, Jordan, another one, another person. And I think that's even more closely related, based off the midwesternness of it all. Uh, Jody Hill um, and Danny oh, McBride, yeah. for that mm-hmm. matter, yeah. with like Eastbound and Down, and among the other things that they've worked on. Right. Um, that's another one where the tone is very specific. Um, it, and it's the 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 characters can turn on a dime and make something that's super serious also funny at the same time, uh, and for reasons that are generally you know dark, uh, but it it works 
for the most part. And Mm -hmm. that's something I think this film knows how to balance. I think that's the thing that we're all saying here. The tone. Yes. Even if you, not that you need another try, but like, even if it throws you off, not unlike Coen Brothers films, a lot of people watch those again and be, and you know, suddenly they're like secret masterpieces or whatever. But like, it, it has that kind of feel where you're bringing those pieces together in your mind and being like, okay, I'm now on the rhythm of this and I'm really into what it's trying to offer because it, that that's some that's different right that's the, the the thing about this it's like it's not it's balancing some tropes like you mentioned Dave, but at the same time it's still operating on its own level it's working right. on its own path which i think makes for a more rewarding film because hey it's something new as opposed to just rehashing the same old stuff but it still fits in this framework of care you know character drama and horror movie and werewolves like it has all these aspects to it that make it quite fun so I, uh, yeah, completely. I yeah. think that there is an element of um, you mentioned that it, it is it's got a lot of character depth in it. Both of you have mentioned that it's got a lot of character depth in it, and, and I would de- definitely agree. And you mentioned like the tropes part of it too, Aaron. I think that this movie avoids a lot of those tropes. Are there goofy co-stars that will like say stupid things? Yes, there are, but they uh, they're hardly in the movie. And it's not as though the the person that you're following, the main cop that you're following, he's not a bumbling idiot. You know what I mean? Like, he says stupid things that are, like, insensitive at times. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like, you, he actually is a really good detective. And I think that that's, like, the part that I appreciated it most. Because everybody loves to see the smart guy in the room talk some shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so when this comes up, it comes up like during the corner scene, like toward the end of the movie, where he he, he says something in the corner. He's like, "Well, somebody tell this guy he's not gonna be working here." Um, and I was like, "That's very clever." And then also the way that the movie, the the last part of the movie is structured and ends. I was like, "This guy is a good cop. It's just that he's going through a hard time." So that's why I forgave the horror elements. And, and Jordan, to your point, I think that there's like a lot of like um, you know oozy blood corn syrup goo uh but i i think that there's also yes it, it wasn't as like especially scary but i also i also like that it wasn't crazy scary about it because of what the reveal is toward the end about like how this is happening why it's happening well see i thought the reveal was creepier than any of the wolf uh moments in in mm-hmm. the film um and actually like if, uh, another uh criticism of the film that i just yes. remembered it, it sort of goes too far like moments go by too fast in a way like and uh, yeah i can see it that it could be the editing and where i'm going with this is at the end um the the officer his his partner um she finds, character? Yeah. she finds something which right. clues her in to who it is and when she picks this object up i was like wait where have i i i i, I don't get it where have we seen this before as an audience like i i I, I didn't make that connection. Like it, like it seemed like I missed something in a, in a way. I was like, do I need to go back and and rewatch part of the beginning? Um, and I'm not, you know, who knows? It could be my own stupidity as a viewer, or it could be, you know, the the oftentimes sometimes awkward editing of the of the movie. Yeah, I, I would agree with you that the editing. Um, there was actually one part toward the end there where I was like something happened here like it's like a jump cut but then i was like did something happen to my version of the movie like did i download or did i did i stream like a bad copy of it 
Um, and I was, I had to uh, rewind it for a second. I was like, no, I, that's the way that they edited it. So I guess that's how they meant it to be. But um, yeah, some editing aspects of it are a little bit weird and wonky. Um, I actually want to ask you guys about potentially like a red herring in this movie. And I kind of wanted to know if you guys felt as though it was like, that's definitely too on the nose or that's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a character that you would never know who this character is. And, and, and how is it supposed to be, um, X, Y, or Z? I know I'm being super vague there, but I definitely don't want to. I mean, it's, it it's not, I would say the what's not getting me is because the mystery involving what's going on is not the major aspect of the film. So I can't say I was bugged too okay. much about it. It's more of a means to an ends than a, you know, look how clever we all were. Right, right. Uh, uh, to you know, f- put this kind of thing together. Uh, but th- that said, I mean, yeah, I would say it's not the strongest aspect of the film, but it's also just not—it's not bringing me down on it too much. Um, especially because I do kind of—I <laughs> like what happens in those moments to get us to an ending, as far as how things are resolved. I guess that's the other thing. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and what I bring up is a very small, like, nitpick in an otherwise like fantastic movie and um out of all the films that have been dropped on vod in the past few months this is the one that i really regret not seeing with an audience like this seems like yeah yeah last to see with with an audience not in a drive-in but like actual theater like a a midnight crowd or watching it like you know at a a screening of people that would want to see this kind of movie (laughs) yeah yeah about halfway through i thought oh my god like like an audience would go crazy for this movie um but yeah one day one day maybe they'll <laughs> throw it in theaters <laughs> indeed maybe one day and I, I think back to uh the scene that you mentioned jordan with like the the uh freak out where he has with his daughter i was like that audience would have been cracking up because it's such like a it's not what you'd expect out of a scene like that. And yet, like what Aaron said too, it's like, it makes total sense. And I was laughing super hard. Cause I was like, this is so awkward, but also so true. <laughs> and, right. And also in that moment, in that scene, her response uh, is heartbreaking and you really get like her perspective and her perspective is valid as well. And it, yeah. yeah, it goes from hilarious to uh, like just, yeah. Crushing. Right. Uh, it's it's so good. It's such a well-made movie. Yeah, he also uh, writes it so it's logical as well, where she's just like, I'm bleeding from the skull, take me to the hospital. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I want to... I wanna. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 no go ahead. I was going to say, like, I, I do want to go back to, like, um, one aspect of the movie that Aaron and I talked, talked about, and I know that uh, Jordan picked up on it as well, which is, like, this toxic masculinity aspect of it. And it's not hidden. It's actually in plain sight, um, it's not by John, the character played by Jim Cummings. Uh, I'd argue to extent it, it, it to an extent it is just because he's entering the film as someone that's what three years sober. Like he's clearly right. being de- he's clearly had to deal with issues throughout. Oh, his totally. Life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, yeah. He he says like the first thing that you hear from him say is like um, six years in the program, three years sober. Uh, <laughs> so, but I I think what I'm trying to go more toward is like it's not hidden in that he is working it out. He's actively working out what this case is all about. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he does go into like the mythology of werewolves and he goes into like 
I mean, the library scene is, is excellent within itself, and the way that it pays off is, is also super hilarious. But, you know, he, he gives you a lesson here, which is like werewolves weren't really real. They were just dudes who dressed up on full moons so they could kill women that, like, had scorned them. Um, and that's like, it was like, I didn't know that about <laughs> about werewolf mythology. Uh, and I don't know whether it's real or just made up for the movie, but no, you know, he's, that, no, he's, he's got it. <laughs> yeah, it actually makes sense. Right. Yeah. So the way that he goes through it and he explains it. And then I love the line that he gives to Ricky Lindholm as they're talking about it. He's like, do you think women have, got, have had to go through this shit for like centuries? <laughs> uh, and Ricky Lindholm just gives him like this death stare of like, clearly, yes, obviously. <laughs> and, uh, I thought that line was well delivered, but also very poignant. So, to mm-hmm. to this film's credit, whatever what we've all been saying, I think there's actually a lot of good writing in this movie. And also going off uh, the theme of toxic masculinity, something that I found interesting. Yes, he is good at his job, but he also, you know, most likely only got to his position because of his dad. And it's something that's never said in the movie, but it's something that I would argue like really helps to inform like how the characters respond to him. Um, oh, very much so, and especially when you, as you see, other cops and where they are and how good they are is doing their job as well. Just I'm trying to be vague, but I mean, there's he, mm-hmm. Abe, you're not wrong. He is a good police officer. Like he, he's a good detective um, mm-hmm. as far as what he's trying to do. But like the way others can command the group is more effective, and that's very clear. Like he very much right. is a guy that's in over his head as far as wanting to be. I mean, that's that's the movie in a nutshell. As far as his character, he's so insecure. He's so like like I said, he's like a throbbing vein about to pop all the time. Like he has so many <laughs> different things, and that's not necessarily a fault of him as a cop. It's a fault of just the life he's living, where he has all these different things going on, and he's right. trying, he's trying to manage all of the stress. But at the same time, dude's human, and you know some, some people just can't can handle these things better than others. <laughs> right. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I, I love what he says to his daughter when they're having brunch with, like, his, his ex-wife. And he just says, like, as I said in the voicemail, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of late nights and overtime. So I won't be able to see you all the time. Because they're trying to, they're so trying to deal clever. with the deadly murderer that's out there. <laughs> right. yeah. it's, so, it's so hilariously written that, like, again, like, if, if you're paying attention to, is this a comedy? Yeah, it's a comedy. Is it is it a horror movie? Potentially, yes, it is a horror movie because it deals with a lot of things that are grisly and dark. Um, but it's, it's ultimately like what Aaron described. It's like the the personal drama of this guy is what Jim Cummings does best. You know, if you've seen even the short of Thunder Road, you get a sense of it. You know how how he how his characters are all going through a hard time, but but fairly complex. Um, but still pretty stable um, when, enough when to you do their jobs. See, when you see the longer version, which I assume you will at some point, both of you, Hopefully. because it's yeah. quite good and not that long. Um, there is a there is a key scene. There's I mean there's a number of scenes, but there's a key scene in there that shows exactly the kind of line that he's writing as far as being an officer that is well-meaning and a good person, but mm-hmm. also can get to a point where. This is what's dangerous, and this is what the problem is, as far as having a sort of power that might not be well suited to you all the time. And uh, and this movie doesn't it doesn't quite go down that realm in the same way because it's a different movie. It's, it's trying to deal with other things. But I still I, I can appreciate what he is trying to do in this, as far as playing these police officer characters and exploring what that is, as far as what's going on in their mind and what they're trying to prove. 
how good they are at doing the thing they're trying to do and just generally providing a an interesting representation um again especially at a time like now it's just i find that to be very fascinating yeah and and really like it, what it comes down to is you know no matter what this director jim cummings whatever he does next i am completely on board like yeah uh it's yeah. such a, like an exciting film uh, it's such um uh this this blast of of joy that i i you know I, I need it in life, and uh, I'm completely on board with, with whatever he does next. He could do a shot-for-shot remake of Psycho, and I'd be like, <laughs> let's, let's do it. Of uh, Gus Van Sant's Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> a copy of a copy? That's crazy, Aaron. You're going yeah. to start to see the, the lines in the Xerox machine. Yeah, and then I'll be like a th- uh, fifth Michael Keaton will come out and be like, not quite right. Um <laughs> You're 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 right, George. As far as yes, I completely want to see whatever he's and he is working on something right now. Is he? Um, yeah, he's got a new film already in the in the works. Um, I will say to that to that point, I I'll just emphasize again. I really like how well this movie is made, and I made it no secret. I'm a huge fan of seeing like snow on films. Like I just think it looks great all the time, because, especially when it's you know projected on a big screen or on a very nice four, Blu-ray or 4K. Like the because you generally get a lot of you know contrast with that as far as you have the white snow versus anything else so when you have a horror movie specifically or something that's darkly tinged you're going to get a lot of really cool shots i think and so this one really delivers on that as far as giving you the snowy mountain town and you have grisly murders taking place there's a lot there that i just think visually pops so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yeah, like i know we're talking about the writing a lot i just want to emphasize again i think this movie looks fantastic yeah i mean <laughs> the technical aspects i mean yeah. i i definitely uh, paid attention to the cinematography as well because it, it's done by um, I forget what her name is um, uh, Natalie but, Kingston. Natalie Kingston. And I was like, oh wow, there's actually a lot of like what she does early on with just the the credit shots. Like she's uh-huh. just taking landscape, but the way that Jim Cummings is like, well, let me let me turn them upside down, and it's like, oh, this is, this is kind of cool. But there's like one particular sequence. It's like a, it's like a quick montage of like the, a news story and then shots of the town. But she has like this overhead shot. Excuse me. She has like an overhead shot of the of like the city. It's sort of like toward dusk, and I was like, "This is a really nice shot." Like, mm-hmm. it's it's kind of like a nothing shot. It's just for establishing. Establishing, yeah, and it's just like, yeah, but it's hard to get this kind of shot. You know, like you have to get the right time, the right day. Uh, the lights all have to be on in the city at at this specific time, and so it's actually really well done. But um, the technical aspects for sure. And I think like the thing that I'll say lastly is like I'm mad at this movie because it feels like something that I could write. Um, but I know that I couldn't, but it also feels like a movie that I could make, but I know that I couldn't. And so that's, that's, that's when I get kind of pretty jealous about things, you know what I mean? Um, and like, you know, we had the the director of Wolf Cop on and it's like, that's a movie where it's like, we definitely probably could have written and and directed it. And I said that it's easy, but again, it's something like, yeah, we, we have a goofy idea and we have like some scares and some gore. It's fun. Um, but then for this one, it's like, I definitely couldn't have written the complex neuroticism of, of this, uh, John Marshall character. Um, and so that's where I was like, yeah, I guess I couldn't have, but I'm also mad that it, again, like if we were creative and we had some time, it's like, it feels like we could have done this, but I know that I know we couldn't have done this. <laughs> that's enough. how good it is. You can do it, Abe. You can do Thank it. Thank you. Thank you. Filmmaker Jordan. 
Well, <laughs> with all of that said, I think we're all pretty big fans of the film. When should people go and see this movie? It's currently available on VOD, and I believe it might be in some drive-ins, but I know it's on VOD for sure. Uh, Jordan, when should people see this movie? I mean, see it immediately. Uh, and I, I would say see it in the theater with the crowd. Obviously, that's not going to happen. So go rent, go buy it. It's only fourteen ninety nine, and you're going to watch it again. So just buy it. Just buy it. Don't be a jerk about it. Just go buy it. <laughs> <laughs> Abe, how about you? When should people see this movie? You know, on our old scale, I'd probably say this is like a dollar theater movie where it's like, yeah, please support it. Like, it's probably something that maybe not mass audiences would go see anyway, um, but please support it in theaters. And then on our scale of uh, home watch, it's 14.99, like what Jordan said. So it's not a terrible watch and it's very quick. So you can watch it twice within like the same time frame. <laughs> same day. Um, yeah, same day. And it'd probably be okay. But I guess if you're not willing to pay 14.99, then this would be like a 9.99, which is like not 5.99. It's like, you know, it's still a fairly premium ish rental. So yeah. If you're gonna spend uh, 9.99 it. on it, just spend 14.99. I mean, I would definitely agree, Jordan. <laughs> it is in drive-in, so you can see this with Tenet right now. I'd do that. A double feature? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Wow. Um. Yeah. No, I'm huge on this movie. I, I think it's pretty fantastic, and uh, I, I'd go check it out immediately if you have any interest in the things we're talking about. If you want a Coen-y type film that's mixed with some horror genre tropes, this is the film for you. Um, okay. Well. That was our review of The Wolf of Snow Hollow. We have a little bit of feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. To go along with it here, so we'll get to that before we get to our next review. Abe, why don't you kick this one off? Yeah. The first question we have here as I am accessing accessing this, uh, what's your favorite werewolf movie? Todd Liebenau has an American Werewolf in London, The Wolfman, and Werewolf of London. The Wolfman is the, is the Jack Nicholson movie? No, the wolf is the jack. Oh, movie. wolf is okay. Wolf I was like, that wolf, movie wolf is good. <laughs> <laughs> the wolf bed is uh, wolf what Lon, Lon Chaney yes. Jr. Right. Yeah. The okay, classic, classic. Yes, the classic movie. wolf. Man. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, uh, Mike Nichols Wolf is yeah, the Jack Nicholson film. Not uh, not the Michelle Pfeiffer vehicle. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chris Cleveland. <laughs> As well, definitely an American Werewolf in London. Then Dog Soldiers, which is Swedish. No, that's Neil Marshall. Neil Marshall. Yeah. Um, but then uh, he's got Howling Ginger Snaps and just watched Late Phases, which was fun with ridiculous Goblin Werewolves. What a what a mix. Uh, and Maxwell, friend of the show, has Ginger Snaps. I know uh, Brandon Peters, friend of the show, he's a huge fan of Ginger Snaps as well, so I'll shout that one out a third time. Mm-hmm. Um. It's hard for me not to say American Werewolf in London because it's just such a perfect example of how to do this as far as making a very successful werewolf movie, which still has, impressively, the best werewolf transformation (laughs) I've seen in a movie. Um, Possibly of all time of of any transformation. I mean, it... It really kind of is. Yeah. So it's it's amazing yeah. that we just haven't got. I mean, obviously before Michael Bay gave us the first Optimus Prime transformation, but I mean the <laughs> in general, it's just so good. And it's like I can't believe that there's not like werewolf movies that are this good almost 40 years later. Mm. Um, so you know that stands really high for me. But yeah, the Wolfman's fine also. So. The wolf. <laughs> Wait, does Jack Nicholson transform in that movie? And it's like it's also very gruesome. No, I, that's Wolf. Once again, that's the Wolf. <laughs> <man>. <laughs> but you know, Wolf is a good movie. It's a movie. It's it's good. It's it's part of that we've talked about it before on our um, I think our Bram Stoker's Dracula commentary track, where you had the '90s giving you these kind of 
adult um, universal yeah. adaptations where you have Dracula and you have uh, Death on the Nile, Kenny Kenny B's Frankenstein, and, and uh, Mike Mike Nichols Wolf, uh, and then like what Interview with a Vampire. You get like a number of these that all kind of come out around the yeah. Time. I like Wolf better than Frankenstein. But... That's probably fair. I haven't seen either in quite a long old, time. But Robert De Niro. Yeah. Uh, okay. Where he, he's he, <laughs> where he plays Frankenstein's monster, and once he gets becomes the monster, he starts leading his own um, hey, mafia unit. You know, I've got a problem here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's going mafia. <laughs> my favorite uh, part gonna... is when it, my favorite part is when Frankenstein's monster crawls over those buildings, sneaks into the building, tur- uh, unscrews the light bulb, puts a blanket over his gun, and then shoots Van Helsing in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, all while firecrackers are are being thrown in. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's perfect. It's a perfect crime. Uh, I've That's been such a long a... build. <laughs> yeah. uh, Wallace and Grab at the Crystal of the Were Rabbit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. That's great. Yeah, that's just a great. I mean, that's just a great Wallace and Gromit right there. It is. Yeah, it's it's a good rump. <laughs> Who cares about families? It's just a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares about families? Uh, any any others or more heaping of praise on Mike Nichols Wolf? <laughs> it is the best werewolf movie. Okay, next question we have here. What are some great films about characters under extreme pressure from all sides? Chris writes definitely uncut gems, including the viewer. You're not wrong. Uh, Farron adds Fargo. I think specifically referring to William H. Macy's character. You're darn tootin'. <laughs> the way that he gets captured and the way that he screams no, it's like it's. I'm like, I think so William pathetic. H. Macy was literally being uh, arrested at that moment. It's, it's so, so pathetic. Good. It is, <laughs> yeah, but it's also just like, ugh, ugh. I mean, he's a terrible person, so he deserves it, but still, it's this very pathetic. True. This is very. It's true. a great. Prof- I just Fargo is just so good, and he among everyone, he's so good in it. <laughs> just talking about snow to... cinematography too oh my god yes robert ellswit i, I assume was it ellswit also, uh, i nice believe so it's, it's, it's a great portrayal of i thought that it was De- uh deacons it's sorry deacons i'm sorry ellswit's i i got the i got the uh the raw the robs and the rogers mixed up yes it is deacons Ugh. sorry oh, yeah. Jordan, what, what were you saying oh i i was thinking about the question sorry and uh nice guys is a good example of a character oh. Under pressure. <laughs> yeah, Gosling. Yeah. Yeah, but of course, Nice Guys is just a perfect movie. But... Yeah. And then you know you have the other guys where Mark Wahlberg's under a lot of pressure. He's a peacock. He's got to learn to fly. The movie's yeah. terrible. It's it's a really bad movie. That one. Not not the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jordan, I just have one thing to say to you. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Just creep. I'm out of here. <laughs> I don't want no scrubs. The other guys Captain, is great. Are you saying God. this on purpose? <laughs> I watched that not too long ago because it's its 10th anniversary. I watched it before realizing it was its 10th anniversary. And then uh-huh. like a week later, an article came out saying it's its 10th anniversary. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. It is its 10th anniversary. <laughs> but it's, still, it's just really funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the next question is, the great Robert Forrester appears in his final role in The Wolf of Snow Hollow, one of the movies we were discussing this week. What are some great older veteran actor performances in genre roles? Todd Liebenau has Sean Connery and Indiana Jones in The Last Crusade. Chris writes Stephen Lang. Awesome in VFW. Jordan, did you see VFW? No. It came out no. earlier this year. I think this no. year, if not last year. But yeah, I, I've, I've heard good things about it and that Stephen Lang is quite good at it. Huh. Great older veteran actor performances in genre movies. Donald Pleasance in Halloween comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's carrying that revolver. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty much what he's doing in the movie, right? 
<laughs> yeah. What about uh? I saw pure evil. What about uh, uh, Peter Cushing in uh, Rogue One? <laughs> yeah, in Rogue One specifically, <laughs> he's he's terrific in that. <laughs> I'm sure that they use some parts of an old yeah. <clears throat> Guy Pierce um, Prometheus. Uh, yeah, uh, Ken Watanabe in Inception and in the opening scene, of course. <laughs> but is it the present time? Um, I don't know. Bill Nye in anything? It seems like he just keeps knocking it out every time he shows up in something. Yeah, I mean, never, never show me a bad time again. I'll just bawl my eyes out. <laughs> okay. What about, uh, would you count Mickey uh, Rourke in Wrestler? I mean, it had been a while since he'd acted he's not really a veteran actor in that movie i guess but i mean <laughs> he looks like it i think the wrestler is a very good movie i think he's very good in it the thing i keep saying about the wrestler is yes he's very good in it doing the same thing he did in sin city a couple years earlier so that's that's my oh yeah wrestler. that's right <laughs> i guess it wasn't a comeback then it was a comeback as fun. i mean sin city's not like it got him an academy Forget award nomination Forget I said anything. <laughs> he didn't get an he didn't get an Oscar nomination for Sin City. I'm just saying it's like yeah, I mean he's that was a high profile thing for him as far as getting going a certain distance. I just mm-hmm. I've seen him do that kind of role already and it was really good. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But sure, he cut meat and he cut his hand in that movie, so you know, he got staples <laughs> in his back. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was like uh, the butcher he was, shop. He was the butcher. He was like the greatest. But it he was the, he was a great butcher shop guy. He's like throwing passes and whatnot. Like, like hey, look at me, I'm a deli guy. <laughs> <laughs> it's his Rocky moment. <laughs> I'm just a regular everyday guy. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. Like that's what yeah. he's doing. That. <laughs> Don't forget to do your push-ups. That's the, the line he says to those kids. <laughs> <laughs> hey, little Marie. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> that's, that's enough. That's that. a great tangent about the wrestler. <laughs> let's, let's move on. Let's get to our next film, Possessor. You have a very special nature. One we've worked hard together to unlock. Results are normal. Anything you want to flag? No. No, I'm fine. Mom! Hi, darling. How was your trip? Dull. Extraordinarily dull. Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for Possessor. As the world changes, it's not just enough to hire an assassin anymore. Am I right? In Possessor, (laughs) Andrea (laughs) Riseborough stars as Tasia Voss, a name of the year a corporate agent who uses brain implant tech to take over the bodies of others to perform extremely covert assassinations of course this job takes a large toll on the mind which is a problem during her latest assignment which puts her in the mind of christopher abbott's colin tate only for her to get stuck inside his head director brandon cronenberg takes a page from his father in delivering on extreme body horror as tasia Voss tries to deal with the dilemma she currently faces but Jordan, does this film have more to it? Oh, I know. You know, <clears throat> this plays out, <clears throat> sorry, exactly how you would expect, I feel, a film to play out from the, direct, from the son of David Cronenberg. And, you know, some people are, you know, clearly are loving this movie. I thought it was a chore 
to sit through. I was so bored and it looks great. The violence is phenomenal, but man, are the characters dull and it takes forever for this film to get somewhere, to say something, anything at all. And, you know, I, I, I do appreciate that, you know, deliberate pace. Um, you know, I love, you know, a good slow pace, like the witch or, uh, the, uh, uh not hangman's daughter. Um, is it black hangman's coat's daughter? daughter? Black coat's daughter. How about Mandy, um, which also stars Andrea Riseborough? Yeah, Mandy. Yeah, exactly. You know, but this just, I, I thought the, and it comes down to the characters. I thought the characters were so bland. There were, there were nothing characters and the actors are phenomenal in this movie and the film just wastes every single person except sean bean who injects the film with its really only source of energy um he's this crazy uh rich man and you know he he does an outstanding job being this eccentric millionaire yeah when when it ended i i was just like okay like time to go home i guess like I, i don't know what to say about that um and, you know, I, I, I almost wish that, well, almost, I do wish that Cronenberg like, had just done something completely different. Like, this is, like I said, very obvious what you would expect, you know, a son of David Cronenberg to do. And I, you know, it, it, I, I would appreciate it more if he were like, you know, I, I may be Cronenberg's son, but I'm a Gary Marshall fan. So coming out in March, St. Patrick's Day, you know, something <laughs> that like is at least would be unexpected. Um, and, you know, and I had also watched again Videodrome the night before seeing this movie. And that has, you know, a deliberate pace. It's very, you know, Cronenbergian. Uh, but the characters are, are fascinating to watch. Even in uh, Videodrome, James Woods' uh, assistant uh, who's getting all the tapes for him. Even that character is, you know, comes across as a real person, someone that you know. And there weren't any characters like that in Possessor. And there's that image on the poster and every trailer of the mask, uh, of, of the weird face stretching. And that's just a, a quick, like, dream in the movie. It doesn't even amount to anything uh, in, in, in the narrative. I just thought it was a nothing movie. <laughs> to be clear, Abe has not seen Possession yet. I was going to so say, Aaron, won't. throw it to me because I have a. T- I totally just. No. <laughs> yeah, Abe hasn't seen the movie, so he'll be participating from a, a third party. Sense, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I have seen the movie. And I, so there's a lot I agree with what you're saying. That said, I do like this movie, but I also reserve the opportunity to watch it again eventually to see if I get more out of it. Because I do think that there's. I think, but I think my anticipation for a movie like this depended more on what's going to happen in it as opposed to how it's going to happen in it. And I do think there's a lot there that I'm willing to willing to think that I can latch onto because of that level of anticipation being, you know, lesser by the time I see, I see it another time. Because I do think there's a lot to like in this movie. I think it's technically incredible. I think there's a lot of really yeah. great stuff as far as his visuals go to make his kind of trippy midnight movie that relies on a lot of the body horror sure but just like weird cues to put you in a certain emotional state 
I I don't know if this works as like an audience film necessarily, but I do think there's something about the kind of way it can capture you if you're in the right mood for it that will be prove to be more effective than if you're just watching it for what the story's supposed to be. Now, I'm not saying you're doing that. I'm not saying you're only watching it for what the story's supposed to be, because I do agree that there's not a whole lot to it beyond some light social commentary involving like corporate culture, uh, possibly mental illness, and I think identity issues, and even gender roles to, an, to a degree. I think all that's in there to some point, but I don't think it's explored all that interestingly. Again, Maybe I'm missing something entirely that another viewing would help me with, but as it stands, yes, I do think it's fairly slight when it comes to having something to say. At the same time, I think both Andrew Riseborough and Christopher Abbott are doing great work in this movie. It portrait like in doing a lot non-verbally, no less. Like they're speaking a lot, but there's a lot of they're trying to encapsulate what it feels like to have this kind of mental toll being taken, where one person is doing this kind of job and it's a wild job but it has to be treated like it's a normal thing in this reality meanwhile you have this other guy who is being inhabited by another person so they have to play that up but they also have to play up the idea of they're still themselves somewhere so it's like a, it's almost like a being john malkovich type scenario i guess except it's not as hilarious because charlie sheen's not his best friend so i mean there's there's a lot there i think to work without an actor's point of view and then there's also the really 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 violent things that take place in this movie as well there's not a lot of them but when they happen they're certainly they're certainly Cronenbergian I'll put it that way uh so it's it's a mix of things I, I have mixed feelings is because I, I I want obviously I think we both want to like this movie more based off both mm-hmm. the hype that was coming out of it the and just the general nature of what the movie is right I mean just looking at the poster alone it's like that's poster of the year like, oh, that's, that's that's great stuff there's there's a lot of good visual things going on here, but I do I can't agree that from a you know just looking at it from the outside the movie's not it's what an hour forty minutes and you what you go through is like yeah that seems tough but also once it's over I can't say I was bowled over and thinking about it a bunch it's like all right yeah it did its job it did what I it did what I came in for but it didn't seem like it escalated to a higher level which is I think what we both kind of wanted. And I like how you bring up. Uh, you know, the themes, right, of gender, uh, you know, corporate, uh, America. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what I, I, I wanted more of that. When the movie started, Yeah. Um, I was excited about it because it does bring up really fascinating themes. Um, but it just, it's like, it just says like, you know, themes of gender and then just runs away. Um, so it doesn't do anything with themes. Um, and to to your credit and to the film's credit, I would watch this again. Not anytime soon, but you know, maybe in like two to three years. You know, if I'm sitting around and it's on TV, I'm like, I'll give this. A <laughs> what a rating! Time. Yeah, but <laughs> I watch this again in two or three years. Three years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I just found it boring, and that's why yeah. I, I'm not not like Wolf of. Uh, Snow, Snow Hollow, where Snow I, Hall. I want to watch it right after this podcast. Again. I can't say I was bored. I, I hear what you're saying as far as it's not giving you a lot, so I can see how one would become like you know a little restless. But I can't say I I felt like I was in I was what I I was never not interested in what was happening on screen. I guess is the is the, is the way I put it. Mm-hmm. Abe, what, yeah. were you, what were you saying? You're gonna. Ask I was something. gonna ask you guys if um uh Cronenberg Brennan Cronenberg usually sets his films like in the future. I like, I don't know how many films he's. He's only done. But... This is his second movie. He did okay. Antiviral way back in 2012. At this point. Which, um, a while ago. 
and I and like I don't neither of these are set in the future per se. They're I think they're set in like a what's X Men call Near it? The future. not too distant future. Yeah. Right. Where like it's still modern, but it's certain like it's not supposed to be specifically a year until okay. the until the until the X Men decided to be like you know what we're in the 60s now <laughs> like that kind of stuff. But, <laughs> but when that series first started, you know what I'm saying? Like it was yes, meant to yeah. be like there's we're we're slightly ahead of things but it's still modern enough where you can recognize it that's where these movies both take place so it's not it's not like hardcore sci-fi like future like oh yeah body like looper type thing yeah think more like inception where that's like well we have dream technology but it's still like modern times basically okay but the gore in this movie Uh is fantastic it's dynamite there's a a a shot of um a pole or a stick that's impaled through someone's mouth and you see it coming out of the mouth and you see the teeth falling and you just like the the wet bloody uh gums that that yeah uh it's so gross and it's so visceral um i i i loved it it's um it, it it was uh just extremely well done I, I wish they put more effort into the script that I put into uh, the violence. Um, but I like, agree. I mean, it's written, it's written and directed by Cronenberg, and I, and not, not unlike Cummings, uh, Jim Cummings from the last movie we talked about. I do think there's a technical proficiency here that is strong. I mean, it, it's really. I mean, I've I've heard a lot of Nolan comparisons as far as like it's doing something, and yeah. I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't say he's necessarily like at that level of directing, but as far as what he's trying to evoke. There's a lot of similarities there and other like key auteurs that have come up and have you know dabbled in the genres um, that I can see why he'd be you know kind of put at that kind of level. I do think there's a lot there's a lot of potential here um, that could bode well for him in the future if he either you know assigns himself you know with another writer or has a stronger story to tell or even gets attached to some kind of IP thing that we probably don't need but we'll be excited for anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, there's there's and- potential here. <laughs> And it's frustrating because the ending, the climax of the movie, uh, is also fantastic. It reminded me of, uh, almost in a weird way, the ending of uh, Proposition, the Guy Pierce movie. Um, Heard of it. Uh, I love the Proposition. I know it. Shares <laughs> some DNA with, with the climax of that movie. Um, sure. Yeah. But it's great. And I was frustrated because I thought if the movie had built up to this, if the movie had uh, earned this moment it would be so powerful it would be mm. yeah it, it, it would be a moment where people cheer people go crazy um because uh, it, it's such a moment I, it, it's it's a payoff for something that's never built up to which is is tragic mm-hmm. and i i feel like the film could have been just 30 minutes long and it would have been oh long. interesting yeah. There's, a, there's an aspect of it where because of how specific the premise is, you could see this working as a short. But I, I, I still, I mean, I appreciate that there is a, a full movie here to watch. I wish it was perhaps better. At the same time, again, I do think if I watch this movie again, I might have a stronger impression of it now that I have a kind of, I, I'm not focused on like, oh man, this movie's been hyped up for months and now I'm finally seeing it. Now I can just see it for what it is and kind of appreciate the things that it's doing really well. A lot better. Another thing that threw me off was that it's this is specifically called Possessor Uncut, as if there was, was a cut ask version. That. Yeah. Well, that the thing is, there as far as I know, there was no other version of this movie. I I feel it just wants to emphasize that the movie that premiered at Sundance is still that same movie because of how extreme the buzz was as far as the mm. content goes. You know what I mean? 
Like yeah. because people were talking about it being quite graphic in its violence, there's you know the pot you know I came that happened before the movie was rated. Now the movies come out, I think they just want to assure people that this is still that same movie. It has not been cut down by the MPAA or whatnot. Yeah, I have a question about the the violence and the gore aspect. Is it uh, something that is like over the top, or is it something that's like no, it's pretty consistent with like what um, I'm I'm getting from like the movie overall. Like you know how like sometimes like I don't know some of Rob Zombie's stuff in Halloween is like this is way too much. Like, like well, there's it's... not a lot of violence in the movie, but uh-huh. the violence that is there is really strong. Like it comes at you viciously and aggressively when it when it occurs okay yeah that i mean it it does what it's happening it's happening and i mean mean, if you want to looking at like rob zombie stuff yes he goes to a certain extreme at the same time it's still yeah that's fine we'll just leave it there but no no i I hear what you're saying with this movie the the it doesn't betray a tone and the violence that's happening it's not that it's it's excessive, but it's not unrealistic, if that makes sense. Like, sure. yeah. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the body can take a lot of punishments, and Brandon Cronenberg <laughs> really wants to exploit that fact. <laughs> the apple doesn't far fall, fall from, from the tree, huh? Got it. Yeah. Oh, man, that moment with the teeth, it is... Oof. Yeah, that's not fun. That's... <laughs> <laughs> and I have, like, a weird thing with teeth. And so that like that that got me. <laughs> I think it's because you can you can see your teeth, right? You can't see bone. When you yeah. see a bone pop out, it's like, well, that's gross. But it's like, oh, that's a bone. I don't see you can you see your teeth on a daily basis, and you know how strong your teeth are. So the idea of seeing someone get their teeth knocked out, to put it lightly, mm. it's like, yeah, I can feel that pain a lot more. <laughs> I can feel certain other yeah, kinds of pain. Amazing. <laughs> I might have to go seek this you know. Um, what about this, other technical aspects of the at movie? The same time. <laughs> what yeah. about other technical aspects of the movie? I like, mean, there's a lot of score, cinematography, oh, the editing. The music's fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, Kareem yeah. Hossein, who did the score, or this is a cinematographer, sorry, Jim Williams, um, he did the score for this movie, and the score is, is fantastic. Okay. Um, it really captures that mood once again, as far as this kind of. I, I hear that I see this a lot in like trippy sci-fi movies like this. It's a kind of. I, like there's some synthy stuff. It's it's very it's like experimental. I guess. I was gonna, I was gonna say like I, I probably kind of know what it is given like the tone of the movie and also yeah. like the sci-fi nature of the movie. I kind of like hear it in my head already. But as far as the visuals go, there's a lot of like there's a lot of color palette plays. There's a lot of like making very extreme choices as far as how scenes are tinged a certain light mm-hmm. uh, that are contrasted with like monotonous type scenes like Christopher Abbott's character who again I think I we should talk more about the actors too because I think they're very good in this movie but the but like he he exists in a corporate world he had his father Sean Bean is like his soon to be father-in-law soon to be or are they already married is that what Jordan I forget uh, it's soon to be soon to be father-in-law yeah. so like they, he exists in a certain world it's very like it's more bland on purpose as far as those visuals go so it contrasts with what what's going on in Riceboro's mind as she inhabits his mind and just like the, the stuff's going on with her in general. And I think it looks really cool. Like it, I called to mind Mandy earlier, a film that I think is quite terrific with uh, Nicolas Cage and her as Mandy. Um, the, that film, it's very, you talk, I want to talk about deliberate. That movie's very deliberate in what it's doing. Uh, similar to the, that director, uh, Cosmatos, um, George P. Cosmatos' son, uh, who did uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Like there's some really, there's an old schoolness to it, but because it's made modern, it has a unique feel 
but it's still like it feels like trippy and experimental in what it's doing it has mm-hmm. a lot of to like to convey the idea of someone melding their mind to someone else or inhabiting their mind it's not a you know you can't use an elaborate series of visual effects or at least that's not the choice here instead it's like what if we did like you know crazy micro photography and expanded that to full screen and stuff like that to give you this like unnerving sense of being in along with like elaborate makeup to, like that poster that you see for this movie that's a part mm-hmm. of it it's a lot of that kind of imagery it's not beating you over the head with it but it's still there enough to which again is why i think the direct i think brandon Cronenberg has a future here as far as doing this kind of thing more often because i do think it fits its own world it fits his own like if he's creating a stamp for himself he's doing it quite well in this movie mm. kids got talent huh kids got talent exactly <laughs> yeah i actually purchased the uh, score on uh mondo um oh, the, nice. the vinyl, cause it's it's a it's a there's great artwork on on the vinyl and it is uh, an outstanding score so um and aaron you mentioned the actors so yes the actors are good. They're great actors. They're 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 never going to be bad. I just thought the characters were boring. So because uh, the characters, how the characters were written, I didn't think the actors were uh, be, be, well because they weren't given a lot to do. They weren't compelling to watch. Um, so yes, they are good in the movie, but they're just bland characters. That's fair to a point. I think I like them. I think I appreciate them a little more than what, how you're saying, because I do think there's a with Tasia Vas. I think there's the the way she's addressing how she does this, like what's going on in her head as far as this job's concerned. I really like that. I really like that. It's this extreme crazy thing of I, you know, I put my mind in other people and, she, and you know kill people very graphically, and then I come back to myself. But the way she treats that is like, yeah, I did my job. Like it, like she tries to throw it off as if like it's not a huge deal. I think there's a lot to play with. And you also have, sorry, um, Jennifer Jason Lee, who plays like her, her handler, I mm-hmm. guess. Like, I, I think that kind of back and forth they have is uh, quite fun as well. So I, mm-hmm. I think there's, there's stuff there. I, I get as far as, again, that kind of thing comes down to the, you know, the story and the, the, the writing. Yes. It's not presenting a lot as far as the dynamic, like how dynamic these characters are. But I think they, I mean, which you said also, I do think they work in the realm that they're in. I do, I do think they are successful in conveying certain kinds of feelings. It's just, and particularly Christopher Abbott, once again too, who I think is a really good actor. I think he's he's been in a lot of like smaller movies like this that I think he's very good in, and I think here it's very challenging for him to kind of play this. What if I had another person inhabiting my character, and I have to play I have to play that person playing me. And then I also have to play me going insane because that person's inside of me. That's there's a lot there to work with. I it's think. Tropic Thunder all over again. Yeah, he's a dude playing another dude playing a dude. Like it's yeah. it's a lot. It and it, I, I don't know. I I, I like them more than you do. <laughs> I, I have a question about the character play here. And and Jordan, you mentioned that you know the ending feels a little unearned. Is it is it that the the movie just doesn't explore like the morality aspect of something or? Isn't it the morality is so far beyond this movie. It's like, yeah, this is okay. just a part of culture. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, so I mean, like, what? Well, is it just like, I guess Jordan's right. Then maybe the characters are just too too bland, too too superficial. Well, they have I nothing mean, to say. Here's the thing: like, this movie is getting great reviews. People are loving this movie. I'm in the minority here, right. uh, so take it. Take what I'm saying. I I, I guess with a grain of salt. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah. I, to, to, 
to talk about the characters, yes, that is fascinating. The character they have to to play, that that conflict that they have, being another person. Um, but for me, I I just felt like there wasn't enough of it. Um, where did you and, Where did you see this movie, by the way? Did you see it at a drive-in? Yeah, I, I did. I saw uh, the uh, Beyond Test. Okay. Um. So yeah, I I was excited for it. I was there. I was like, Whew. I wait all year for Beyond Fest. So I, I was very, very excited for this movie. Um, yeah, I, I, I wanted more of everything, of characters, of the conflict. And I just didn't feel that there was enough of that inner conflict, enough of that struggling of um, what a person might experience uh, going through this situation. So, yeah, I, I just felt it was lacking all around. And, I, you know... It breaks my heart because I wanted to love this movie. Right. Um, you know, I, I never go into a movie wanting to hate it. Yeah, but again, I'm in the minority here, so most people are 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 loving this. So who am I? I'm just... <laughs> who are you? <laughs> who am I? I'm just a schmuck who, who hates this movie. Uh... <laughs> well, uh, any other thoughts on uh, Possessor before we uh, get out of here and move on? Nope. Okay, fine. Nope. Uh, no, <laughs> Abstain from voting? <laughs> when, when should people see this movie? It's currently available in drive-ins. Um, that's the only way to see it, I believe, currently. So, yeah, we have to wait a bit if you want to see it on a uh, on a, a small screen. But, uh, Jordan, any thought on that? I mean, you know, if, if, if you're excited to see it, go go to a drive-in. I mean, hey, it's just fun going to the movies. So. It is. <laughs> um, yeah, drive-in or uh, I feel like you know, a good majority of people have a nice home theater system, so you know it's going to look great on a 4K TV eventually. I'm sure, I'm sure it, it will when it comes out. So yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you. I do think there's a, you know, there's an opportunity here to see something out of driving like this. It kind of fits that atmosphere. Um, at the same time, it's such a well-made movie that yes, watching it at home certainly worthwhile. So my, I, I would certainly suggest, uh, you know, giving it a rental uh, when you can because it's has enough extreme things where not everyone's going to be into a movie like this necessarily, but it's certainly, I, I think, uh, worth at least watching once. Yeah. So that's uh, that's Possessor. And uh, before we move on to more feedback, uh, I wanted to ask Jordan, you, you did go to Beyond Fest a few times here this past week. What what, what did you end up being able to see? Uh, so I, I also watched St. Maude. Oh. Uh, have, have you seen it? No, I have but I've not. seen the trailer. I've okay. been wanting to see it for a uh, while. And again, I, I felt let down. Um, mm. Sort of the same criticisms that I had, I, I have with Possessor. I felt like it, it's that deliberate slow pace, which again I do appreciate. Like the, you know, the Black Coast Daughter and uh, Gretel and Hansel and. Just anything Oz Perkins does, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, but I felt, again, this didn't have the atmosphere. It didn't have the creativity. Uh, again, it could have been, you know, of uh, an, an Outer Limits episode. And it has an interesting ending. Uh, I'll give it that. Like, the beginning is really good and the ending is really good. It's just that middle chunk that I felt myself just looking at my phone a lot checking the time and uh it's like oh this thing has to be over soon and it'd be like 40 minutes in <laughs> it, it does present some some interesting topics and interesting themes especially at the end 
um, I really, really loved the ending of St. Maud. And, um, and I, I am excited for people to see it because I want to talk about that ending. Uh, it's just that middle that leaves nothing to talk about. It, it just goes around in circles. Um, also, I watched um, Freaky. This is the upcoming uh, slasher comedy with Vince Vaughn and Becky Newton from the director of Happy, the Happy Death Day movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love Happy Death Day. I I do love it. Um, but this, I see. Now I'm just coming off as a. As you a, seem down because I'm hearing so many good things about all these movies. I know. I've, I've, I'm just. Keeping it real, like, though. I'm, I'm looking like an asshole here. Um, I'll but, throw in that I'm not a big freaky or um, happy death day fan. I don't think it's bad. Well, I don't think it's... I, I'm not as big on it as near as nearly as much as other people are on those films. So I, But seeing this one in the trailer and it's R-rated, I'm like, oh, there's something here. And I like Vince Vaughn. So. I mean, Vaughn's great. The, the actors are great in this movie. Vaughn's hilarious. And uh, the other actress... Uh, Becky Newton. Yeah, yeah, she's phenomenal in it. Um, it 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 seems like a script that was written like over a weekend, and that's what they filmed. Um, uh, I see. Again, it's really rushed, and it it seems like there are moments that are missing from the movie to make it uh, cohesive. And yeah, it's violent, but it it doesn't go with the tone of the movie. I feel like Happy Death Day should have been this violent and mm. and this should have had like the pg-13 violence of happy death day um see yeah, that's that's funny you say that because i it's not that i think you know movies need to be r to be good but at the same time part of my issue was happy with happy death day was because it's limited by that bound you can't get more creative with some of the stuff going on so i, I felt like it had to purposely hold back to maintain a rating which made it right. suffer by result and that should have been freaky because it doesn't have to show all the violence. Like that's, it doesn't seem like that's the type of movie it is. Uh, it seems a movie very much catered for uh, the teenage crowd. Uh, huh. With you know, again, kids incest. love Vince Vaughn. They cannot. <laughs> kid, kids, kids love Vince Vaughn. <laughs> I, I, I mean, everyone loves Vince Vaughn. He, he is a planetary treasure. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and again, it, it introduces themes. I, I don't want to get into it because that would spoil it. And it doesn't explore these themes, though. And, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it's and also on a technical level, the film's really bright, like yeah. almost bright, where it's like a Disney Channel movie in a way. Like, um, yeah, it, it 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 see it looks cheap. Which is jarring when you get the violence. Uh, mm, I see. And there's, All right. you know, and there's a fun kill with with a wine bottle at the beginning that's really creative and really inventive. And uh, the again, the beginning's great. Uh, the, the opening scene is a lot of fun, uh, and the acting's uh, terrific. But yeah, it's just the script that that fails the story, that fails the actors. And I, I just wish it would have. It, it needs a couple more drafts. And, you know, I, I hate to say, you know, there's, you know, for, you know, to, to make a film, there's the producers that come in and throw their two cents in. But I feel like this movie needed that guidance, uh, which it doesn't have for me. Fair enough. Anything else you saw at Beyond Fest? No, that was it. All right. I saw one film. I didn't see it at Beyond Fest, but I saw it and it was at Beyond Fest. And it was one that I was really looking forward to. Synchronic. 
um, the new film from uh, Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. They previously made The Endless Resolution in Spring, films I really like, and this is their kind of biggest film to date because it stars Anthony Mackie and uh, Jamie Dorman. Um, it's pretty terrific, and I'm not going to go to it too far because I won't I won't count out the fact that the chance of us doing like a bonus episode on it or even reviewing it at some point because I think it's really good um, and worth talking about and, and discussing. But I will say it it very much delivers on the idea of genre filmmakers that have made a you know built up a level of esteem based off their smaller features and have transferred over to a slightly larger scale very successfully while maintaining what they do very well. And it's another example along with Tenet of me seeing basically white directors that work well with genre casting black leads and suddenly the the dynamic of that casting choice makes i think a big difference you get a real different energy by having john david washington or anthony mackie in your as your lead character that i don't think you get if you cast differently and i i, I there's a part of me that just wants to applaud that because i do think it makes it makes an actual difference in how you see the film um i, mm-hmm. I found it to be a there, there's something there, there's so it's hard to describe but there's just something there that i really appreciated about having a you know straying from the norm kind of sense of it when it comes to how you cast these movies yeah um, all right well thank you jordan for talking about beyond fest a little bit here because i know you were able to check out some films and we wanted to talk about them a little bit um when does uh, the movie come out synchronic uh, comes out two weeks from now i believe so like the 23rd oh. and it goes to vod um and the director is very much saying hey don't see our movie in theaters. Watch it at home and be safe. So good on them for encouraging logical discussion about how to watch movies these days. Um, nice. And um, what Freaky comes out November thirteenth or the sixth, yeah. I think, right? There. Uh, it's the thirteenth, isn't it? Oh yeah, that's right. It's the Friday the thirteenth. That's yeah. right. That's the whole gimmick of it. Yeah, it's coming out on a Friday the thirteenth. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, okay. Well, and I say St. Maude, I don't think it has an actual release date as of yet. It's out overseas. It's out in England. I know that. But I don't think it has a U.S. release date as of yet. So Get on that plane if you want to see it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's move back over to feedback. Feedback, feedback, feedback. Let's go over some of the various questions and answers once again. Um, now we have a couple questions geared more towards Possessor. First question here. What are some great films about connecting your mind to something or something else? Some, sorry, something or someone else. Uh, Chris writes, ooh, Upgrade. Mm. Uh, Justin has Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Hobbs and Shaw. What was, oh, the Idris Elba thing. I was like, what happened in Hobbs and Shaw? It's Black Superman. <laughs> That's right. The, the the key plot point of that movie is that Idris Elba has a machine in his head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, and have to say Get Out, right? Uh, Jim has Brainstorm, The Matrix, Total Recall, and All of Me. Mm. Four sci-fi classics. <laughs> <laughs> no one wrote Existence? Existence is a good one, yeah. yeah with, uh, awesome. with, with Possessors Jennifer Jason Lee, directed yeah. by David Cronenberg. Yeah. <laughs> Love Existence. Uh, Robocop 2. Oh yeah, still copping. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's favorite RoboCop. <laughs> exactly, it's everyone's favorite RoboCop. The most family-friendly RoboCop. That's what I call it. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of kids in that movie. <laughs> yes, there is. There's one that I was, when I was very young, convinced was like, "Why is Macaulay Culkin in this movie?" And I'm like, well, "That's not Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> that's not. Macaulay. He's the kid from the Sandlot." <laughs> exactly. That makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay, and the the other question is, what are your favorite body horror movies? Chris has my favorite genre, too many to mention, but The Thing, The Skin I Live In, Tetsuo, uh, Iron Man, 
The Void, Videodrome, Reanimator, and Zombievers, and Tusk. can probably count Martyrs, too. Uh, and Fahrenheit Society, and The Fly, of course. Any other body horror movies for you guys? God, I forgot about Martyrs. Oof. I mean, the fly, the, the fly is a good call, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to think of not David Cronenberg films because it's so yeah. easy. <laughs> Just name more. Um, what's that one? But Splice. Uh, Splice comes uh, to mind. Adrian Brody. Academy yeah. Award winner Adrian Brody. Yeah, uh, Vigenzo and Itzali's Splice, which is absolutely disgusting in parts, but it's still very funny. Yeah. Oh, there's Slither. Or did someone mention Slither? No, no, but that's, no. Like, that's a good one. I'm going to throw in uh, uh, two scenes, one from Terminator and one from Terminator 2. There you go. Black Swan has a lot of good body horror in it. Oh, and yeah, a lot of right. other things. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. yeah. All right. Now we got a question here. This one's from Chris. He writes, I know it's too late for this show. He, he asked this question last week, but I would like to hear your thoughts on films not being released. Cineworld and UK are closing 127 cinemas here that translates to regal closing all of their cinemas seems a bit of a dire strait no films released for cinemas yet surely the film studios need the cinemas to show their films so i think just wants our opinion on the fact that the theaters are being closed once again or at least the regals and the cinema world brand is uh, closing their films yeah completely and i think we've lamented this for for quite a while now um Aaron and I both love going to the theaters. I think Jordan would definitely agree that the probably the best way to see movies in the theater where, uh, you know, it's pitch black. Uh, you're there with like uh, an audience and great sound and great picture. Um, I think that it's kind of like a huge detriment. I, I think that it, it does affect a lot of people in that. Yes, it's retail jobs, but at the same time, like it, it kind of thinks that I'm not able to have these shared experiences with, with folks. You know, we, we just talked about it this past week on the Wolf of Snow Hollow where I think that would have played pretty well with audiences as well. Uh, it, or even, you know, some gore factors where you get a lot of cringe. Um, I keep thinking about the last uh, time that people were really enthralled with the movie ex- going experience. And, and I think about, um, uh, you know, Jim from the offices, uh, a quiet place where everyone seemed to, to really enjoy that theater going experience. Um, and I think about what Scott at Mendelssohn wrote like years ago about John Wick saying it was one of the best theater experiences that he's been in that year. And I went to go see the movie uh, after that. And I saw it with like three other people in the theater and we all had a blast. Um, we were all saying ooing and aahing at the, at the same time. So it's unfortunate that theaters are not able to operate at this time. Like I feel for the local theaters too, the ones that are in your hometown that are like one or two screens, kind of small, but they're um, semi fairly independently owned. Um, and it's, it's a bummer overall, but I, I mean, you know, I know that some theaters are reopening. We've talked about this too, where you can probably rent out an entire theater for $120, uh, with you and a group of friends. Um, but you know, I don't know there, there's just like this weird, like sad mysticism about movies and how it's going to be weird one day when we talk about it and we're like, do you remember when we used to go movie hopping? Um, when we were like 11 or 12 and we'd see like three movies in a day, it's like, that just doesn't happen anymore. So it's, it's nostalgic. It's, it's regretful. It's kind of a bummer, but um, you know, like other places are opening up and here in the States, at least it's like, it's kind of been bitter that um, our federal response has, has been lacking. So we've had such a, a downturn. You're speaking to like our innate desire to want to watch a film in a, 
you know a public space essentially and yeah obviously we'd prefer to do that and there's you know there's a lot of (laughs) there's there's a lot to like miss about this concept and what you you know we want to do and what have you and along with operating something like this yes it's unfortunate that we're in a position where a lot of people are going to have their jobs threatened if not already being taken away from them because of the situation we're in as far as you know the reasoning behind all of this i mean frankly yes as much as this did affect jobs they shouldn't have opened to begin with (laughs) i mean i don't i I just Mm -hmm. at least here like that shouldn't have been a thing like that's I get the like desire to be like, well, we have to try, but at the same time, there was so much like, if I can tell you a guy that has no connection to this, uh, this be you know financially or anything, and it just goes on what I seem to be aware of, and I can successfully point out this is not not only is this not going to work, it's going to cost you money. It seems like higher ups that are much more well informed and educated about this thing involving their own business, let alone problems with the world should have been able to call this ahead of time so it's I, i'm not and i'm not trying i'm not laughing at the you know that happening i just it's just i find it kind of ridiculous where it's like yeah this didn't work regardless of people that are trying to reject this philosophy of hey we need to do this thing to survive people there are enough smart people that are like yeah we're not going to go to the movies right now but whether it's because we don't have the money to go to the movies or because i don't feel safe with other people at the movies they're not going to show up. And guess what didn't happen? They didn't show up. Look at Tenet. <laughs> like, look at this big blockbuster release, let alone every other film that's available to see. If people wanted to see movies, regardless of what the movie is, they'd go to the movie. And they didn't. And here we are now, where it's going to co- it's gonna end up costing them more money to have to close down theaters once again <laughs> before the, instead of just leaving them closed to begin with. I'm glad Cineworld is in a better financial position than AMC and Cinemark. Which, and AMC specifically is running on fumes but it's not i mean i don't i don't know what that future is for all of these companies but i i hope it's not as dire as it seems from a financial standpoint because yeah things are gonna have to be this way for a bit they're probably gonna end up i, I don't know if amc and Cinemark mark are gonna close down again little on the other ones like you're mentioning abe i don't know if that's gonna where that's gonna lead to but i the best i can think is hopefully when things are in a better spot for people to go out in the open or be better controlled about how they you know do things or capacity limits or whatever the case is that things come roaring back and yeah we can go to the movies again and have a good time but right now it's not the best it's not it's not that we're not in that position and it sucks i get that i get that for a lot of reasons but and that studios i mean they're gonna have to figure this out too i mean they universal did the best job as far as like we're just moving everything to 2021 and i don't even know if things are going to come out in 2021 or at least in theaters but at least they have a lot of time to plan this out they don't need to experiment with vod in the way that well they, they kind of did with trolls but like disney did with what move on which didn't do that well and uh and they're gonna do it again s- with uh with soul but without soul. without charging though they're just dropping it on christmas day which like that's a good faith way to go about things, but that sucks, right? I mean, that sucks yeah. that the movie's going to just right. exist on this platform without ever having had the kind of bigger experience it would have had from a theatrical standpoint. Yeah, but, you I don't mean, think I want to cry next to, like, random strangers that I don't know while trying to cover up my tears like the way that I did in Inside Out? Of course I do. <laughs> uh, but, Jordan, what, what do you think about the situation with theaters um, given COVID-19? I mean, it's tragic. It's tragic. Tragic. For any business, and um, 
each time movies are pushed back more and more, you read, it seems like every day you read about, oh, a movie being pushed back. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's really hurting, you know, the, the theater owners, the employees, the studios. Yeah, it's um, I, I have a friend who's a manager of a theater up north and he's like, we have no idea when we're going to open. And, uh, and now they're talking about just shutting down the theater all, all together. And that's horrible. Like, especially, you know, because this manager was like looking at his watch thinking, all right, get back to work sooner, soonish. And then now, you know, being told, actually, you may never have your job again. Um, it's, it's a very scary position to be in. And yeah, like there, there were many, you know, it's it's easy to say like you know we could have done x y and z why didn't we do this and but yeah i mean we should have done that and it's it's frustrating and uh maddening and i mean we also recognize this is a small piece of the puzzle it's unfortunate as far as jobs go but yes there we're a movie podcast but yes there there are also greater tragedies going on outside of this so it's just it's just part of a giant thing of the the real tragedy that's happening because of everything and how it's been handled and whatnot Mm mm-hmm I know we started this episode talking about the Wolf of Snow Hollow and Possessor, so I'm sorry that Chris's question has led us down a path where, yes, things are really tragic or what have you, but it's good to ask. It's good to talk about because Abe and I, we've certainly wanted to address these things every so often on the podcast. I think that we do. Yeah, we, we're, yeah. we're pretty we're pretty outspoken about this situation. We, we've jokingly joked about it in the past, like, few months, but also, you know, whenever it's directly asked to us, yeah, this is how we feel, you know. I mean, there's there's no getting around that... I'd say, like, to Aaron's point, there's just no getting around that this is actually affecting a lot of things. Yes, the movie going, the, the theater going experience is like the end result, but productions have stopped for television and movies. Um, you know, like, it's a lot of people that are being affected by this. And some of these people are, are probably disproportionately effect, affected than, um, you know, what we might think. So it's unfortunate. Yeah. I mean, out, you know, out, movies take thousands of people to work on. So it's like beyond the ones that are going to be okay, you have, you know, a key grip who had like, you know, three films lined up so he could pay his, you know, help his family out. And now he can't do that. Like, there's a lot of stuff like that. That's, again, not nearly just the movie industry, but that's, you know, that's a microcosm of what it is with the world, right? Sure. And it sucks. Yeah. It sucks. And, and, and it's hard to process. So I'm happy we can just do a fun film podcast and right. at least just have a good time with that every now and then. And, and your segment, like what we would have seen in theaters, you know, back in, what, like April when I was on and we were talking about like, Oh, Black Widow would have opened up today. You know, that's, that's a segment I'm sure, like, you thought, oh, this is only going to happen for X... Like, it won't go on, you know, until October. Like, no way will that happen. And it sucks that, like, God, like, you're right. Like, this is just a piece of the larger puzzle. But mm-hmm. uh, it's, yeah, it does... This small piece affects a whole lot of people. Right. Also... Time, time truly is a flat circle because that FP episode was back in May and it's now October. <laughs> it does not May. feel like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh. All right. Oof. Chris, thank you for that question. Thanks for thank the you question. For letting us go off on this for a bit here. Um, but no, it, it, it is good to address these things. But also, let's continue with the rest of the show, which is now sadly ending because we've been having a lot of fun, but everything has to come to a close at some point. So that is going to do it for this week's episode about Now Theron and Abe. You can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodezeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there. I'm also writing at Woody of Entertainment, Wise to Blue, and Variety. I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Abe? You can find more fun stuff over my Instagram, abe.mua, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose. Hashtag, don't tell me to go to bed. I don't need a parent. <laughs>
<laughs> Jordan Grout. Where can people find more of you? Oh boy, you you really can't find any of me anywhere, unfortunately. Uh, I am writing, but it's um, something that has yet to be released yet. So oh. you know, fingers crossed that whole intriguing that whole spiel. Um, so yeah, one day, one day I'll make a triumphant return. Dig it. I, I like or maybe it. not so triumphant. Yeah. You, you just never know in these times. When the Fair. world needed him most, the Avatar Jordan <laughs> Like for I look forward to Jordan's M Night Shyamalan collaboration. Let me what can I say? Um, you can you can find all the other episodes about now if they're in name on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. SoundCloud Podomatic and HHWLOD. Feel free to email us at outnotpockets at gmail.com. Send us questions like Chris did over at facebook.com slash outnotpodcast, or you can tweet at us at twitter.com slash podcast. We're a little spicy on Twitter, so feel free to, to uh, you know, at mention us and also make fun of us. <laughs> and of course, <laughs> hit us up on our Instagram page as well. I don't know, even know what that means. Just follow us on Instagram at instagram.com slash podcast. Uh, Jordan, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. It was so much fun. I, I, Good. I always... Uh, Love coming on the podcast and having good. a good laugh, hanging out. Good. Glad glad to have you here. And, yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Um, what's next week? Next week, I believe, we're talking um, uh, The Trial of the Chicago Six. Um, oh, okay. So that, should, so that should be fun. Um, and, of course, there's our horror specials coming out as well. But until next time, so long. And goodbye. Now is a film podcast. We're able to discuss new movies weekly. However, not however. <laughs> huh? Hold on. Went into, went into a bonus mode track. I did, yeah. <laughs> What's that? What can I credit you with these days? Oh, that's a good question. Say, uh, I have no idea. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm nowhere. My I'm default was just why so blue. We haven't posted anything in forever. So. I know. Um, you can still be why so blue. I, I still like. I'm, I'm like that creepy person who just goes on social media but never posts anything <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So i'm looking at your social media i just don't say anything myself oh, so you're like robert pattinson <laughs> just lurking uh... <laughs> hold on there's there's a kid shouting in front of from my window right now okay let's ask him now. go run outside real quick ask him what he thought of the wolf of snow hollow hey, hey! <laughs> <laughs> Fair. How are you supposed to Fair. Do it, kid?